0: Is it on? Oh yeah.
1: Hey, Pastor Paul.
0: I thought that it would be nice to send you a, um, a video since we get to see you, but you don't get to see us. So digging into your question, the way that as a couple that we show cherishing is in communicating uh, to one another. And obviously, you know, that's the foundation of, of any relationship is is um hinges on an ability to communicate clearly a lot of times amelia is a six-year-old and, and claire is a three-year-old so um still trying to you know be consistent with that no. with the girls yeah. we show them Well, you do this really well at night and i try to to as well more during the day when i'm with them but just speaking what we think about them yeah um the good things, obviously. I'm yeah, just being um, just being affirming and the positive things that we see in, in them. And a lot of times parenting can be a lot of, you know, no, don't do that or come down. Ah, you're going to hurt yourself, you know, <laughs> things like that. And so at the end of the day, um, one thing that we do is um, we, we switch off with each girl and um, one of us prays and then we switch the girls each, every other night. We're taking that time to spend time with, with them individually and, and express to them what we think about them. And, you know, that, that, what that looks like for me is, um, is I, before I leave the one, um, that's, that it's my night with, um, I will tell her in her ear, you know, that, um, she's. She's smart and she's, um, uh, she's spunky and, and um, she's beautiful and, and all of the things that I um, see in her that we want to bring out of her even more. I try to tell her and, and express to her that I think the world of her and um, that I love her just the way she is and um, nothing can change that. And even though, and, and some, sometimes it, it involves an apology for <laughs> if I've had a shorter temper, um, but I, I try to um, leave both of them at night with, with knowing that I just, I love them so much.
1: So what was it that Josh and Chapel were talking about? They were talking about the power of cherishing through the language that they have with their children. Last week, we learned about our language and how it's one of the most powerful elements in communicating cherishing. Um, I know that we've all joked about being locked in our homes with our families with the COVID-19 virus. Um, Sure, we love them, and they're great, and and I think you've probably done this whole explanation to somebody when you told it, but, but spending all day with them, and then all night with them, and then all week with them, and then all month with them, would really challenge anybody's relationship. Now, I've seen a lot of funny COVID-19 videos uh, over the last couple of months, but I think this one expresses the stress of communication with inside a relationship, inside of a family, better than uh, any other. Let's watch. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you, A, Quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. <laughs> B. B. I love that one. Um, but it really does make us realize that this is a time when we're spending time with the most important people in our lives and that we really need to harness this power of cherishing, like Josh and Chapel were encouraging us. So we want to use language, um, we wanna use language to express, and we're kind of working this into our definition of cherishing, to express the determination of our hearts to discover, to acquire, to secure, to nurture, and to protect a relationship of value. And the scripture is very clear that our language, that what we communicate out of our lives has incredible power. Listen to Proverbs eighteen twenty one: Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, we have the ability to create or to kill the ethos of relationship or the character of relationship or the the character of our community. Our language, so the way that we communicate, and and if you were uh, last week, if you were here, you realized that we we're not just talking about individual words, like cuss words, not cuss words, or that we didn't want to marginalize this by just focusing on, are you talking about using you know, the S word or the F word? What is he talking about? We're talking about the body of language that comes out of you as a, as a person, what you're communicating with your life, your ethos, your character, and then what kind of cre- community do you create, uh, create? And that's what the writer of Proverbs was communicating, was that life and death is in our hands, it's it's literally in our language. We have the power to create community, one that either kills or one that, that brings life. So just think about your marriage, about your language with your children, your friends, your coworkers, your work environment, and the power that you have in those spaces. So I wanna use a parable that Jesus used to illustrate um, how important people are. And we're gonna use it to Uh, learn about the power of language. Now, you've probably heard the story before, but I want to use it and apply it to this particular issue of cherishing our language. Out of Luke 15, it starts in verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, before we even get to the part that I wanna use, did you see the power of language in play? I mean, even in the description of this story, it said that all were drawing near to hear him. Now, can you imagine having that kind of language ethos? that kind of character of language coming out of your life, like we read out of John chapter one, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word um, had the power to create and life uh, was given to men and, and light in the middle of the darkness. Did you hear that, that Jesus had the kind of language ethos that people just came to hear him? And could you imagine that in your life? that people are just drawn to hear what you have got to say to them. And I'm not just talking about a crowd. I'm talking about your kids, your, your wife, your husband, your coworkers, that people would be drawn to you to not to do anything for them, but just to hear the language that comes out of your life because it does something inside of them. It's also interesting that Luke classifies the language ethos of the Pharisees, and he uses this word grumbling. Now grumbling means this, it means to complain throughout. Wow, now that's a whole different kind of ethos. And so I think we got a comparison here. We've got one ethos being created by Jesus, one language ethos, the the character of community that he's creating through his language that draws people. And then we have this other kind of way of communicating that the Pharisees do where it is complaining throughout. Now, let me just ask you to do a little bit of inventory here is which one of these do you find yourself falling into? Do you find yourself that when you talk to your your kids, your loved ones, your relationships, your coworkers, whoever's around you begins to be drawn in to encounter you? Or um, are the things that come out of our mouths uh, a complaint throughout, that we're always complaining about everything that goes on in life or what that person did or how they never understand or what the kids did all day or how work's not going right. It it kind of reminded me when I thought of this grumbling and I thought of this um, to complain throughout, it reminded me of the Creek that's right next to the church. It has become a stormwater runoff ditch, but it's called church Creek and sure, there are some fish in there, and there's some greenish-looking things that are growing in there, but when you look at the health of the creek, or what was called the creek, it's been, what I would say, grumbled. It has been complained throughout, meaning that there has been things that have been put into it that have changed the definition from a life-giving creek to this thing that has just totally been compromised. Um, there's fish in there, but I wouldn't eat anything that I caught in there. So it it makes me ask the question, is my language a life-giving creek or is it a stormwater runoff ditch? Is it always just filled with complaints and the the next issue that got you angry, the next thing that got you mad and how somebody disappointed you and and throughout just the waters of your language are constantly... um, just complaint throughout. So let's get back to the illustration. I mean, that's just amazing to get that much out of life of Jesus, and he hasn't even said anything to us yet. But let's get back to the illustration that Jesus is going to use. So Jesus told them this parable. One man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I love the cherishing that is communicated in this story that the shepherd is willing to go after the one that has gotten lost. And I really think that there is some powerful illustrations about language in this parable. One is this, that we need to go after the one with intentionality. Um, That the relationships that we value, that we want to see cherishing happen in, we need to go after them. We need to seek ways to talk and to communicate to that one, not to operate in a herd mentality. And I, I think a lot of us do that. We tend to talk to everybody the same way. We talk to all the kids at the same time, um, and, and we got to remember that just because everyone heard you doesn't mean that everyone heard you. And I, I grew up with a perfect example of this. My dad. Um, I mean, he has eight kids living in the house and I'm going to make a lot of margin here for him because I can't even imagine raising that many kids. And, and so, I mean, you got, especially all boys, I'm mean, one girl. So, um, he always did family in kind of a herd type of way early on in his life and he didn't figure out till late that he needed to communicate differently one-on-one to us, that he didn't have the opportunity to go and find the one and talk to the one. And I think that's really important that we need to get intentional to go after the relationship with our cherishing language. I mean, using cherishing language for that one instead of using a herd mentality, that were willing to leave the 99, the crowd, the busyness, the, the whatever, even if it is the whole family, kind of like what Josh and Chapel were talking about, where they would spend time with each one with one of the daughters, and then they would switch and talk to that daughter, and they would speak into the one. They would speak into that one person's life with the message that needed to be spoken. And I, I think a lot of us have not... Um, Kind of communicated in that way we tend to do it all as a herd type of language communication and scripture talks to us about communicating to the one and that we don't talk to all people the same way i want you to notice these examples um it, it, for instance in colossians three nineteen, talking to your wives It says this, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered or harsh against them. So now that's instruction that we're being given on how to talk to your wife. Because That's a specific type of need in that relationship, in the context of that relationship, not the herd of all relationships, but in that particular relationship, the apostle Paul says, listen, guys, you need to stop being bitter with your wives, snapping on with your wives and and being harsh with your wives, but rather you need to um, uh, be loving and cherishing in the way that you communicate, that the way that you talk to your your buddies at work or while you're at the gym or or uh, whatever the relationship may be that's not that one size does not fit all it's that we need to go after the one relationship leave the 99 the way that you communicate to all the rest of people and go communicate to that one person the way that one person needs to be communicated and that's why in scripture we we hear instruction about husbands and wives and and kids, and, and employers, and masters, and slaves. And we have all this teaching because each one of them need a different way to be communicated to. One size doesn't fit all. Matter of fact, this says about talking to your husband. It, it says something to wives. It says this out of uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Each one of you must also love his own wife as he loves himself. And uh, the wife must... Respect her husband Now That's powerful Now if you ask my wife if she wanted me to speak to her Respectful, she'd probably be like Yeah, alright But if, I, if you said, well, would you like me to speak to you In a cherishing, understanding kind of way She'd say, oh yeah, I prefer that Now if you talk to a man And you say, listen um, How do you want me to speak to you If, if you're a wife I'm, I'm not necessarily looking for a lot of Lovey-dovey language for my wife But honoring language now that does something to my soul i don't know why but it just seems to be the way that we're created so that to find the one to leave the 99 and to talk to the one the way the one needs to be talked to is different let me give you another example in talking to your kids as parents it says fathers do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart and do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, Ephesians 6, 4. So again, we're being given insight here that you don't talk to your wife the way that you talk to your kids. You'll probably get backhanded. Uh, But you know what I'm saying? And he's saying, listen, parents, don't exasperate your kids. Don't berate them. Don't Don't talk to them in a a specific kind of way because kids need to be the one separated from the 99. Remember... You've decided these are people that you're going to cherish in your life. They're not the 99. You don't get to talk to them the way that you talk to everybody else. You don't talk to every woman, guys, like you speak to your wife. You don't give every woman the same compliments that you give to your wife. Why? Because she's not the one. They're part of the 99. There's a different language that you use. As a matter of fact, I will tell you just a little, that if your wife hears you using the language of the one, that's for her. Uh, on another woman, um, it'll break her heart. It it really is interesting that when you begin to see that um, when a child hears a father compliment another child that's not his child in the hearing of his child, um, it breaks the heart of the child. So for, for fathers, it says, don't exasperate your kids. I mean, just give them a break. You don't have to be right. You don't. Know? Don't bully your kids. Don't provoke them. Don't be a smart butt all the time to your kids, but rather bringing them up and instruct them in the Lord. And when it says instruct them in the Lord, it's not like, well, you need to teach them the Ten Commandments, which is a great idea, but instruct them in the Lord. I mean, in the way of the Lord, in the way that the Lord would instruct, and in the kindness and the mercy, in a way that, just like we were told about Jesus, that people wanted to come and listen to him. Communicate in a way that your kids will be drawn to the way that you communicate. Uh, Even talking to strangers, you don't talk to strangers the same way that you talk to other people. Um, Paul says this in Colossians 4, starting verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person because not each person needs to be responded to the same way. It is leaving the 99 herd mentality way of communicating, the, and, and can I just say it's this, and it's this for me, the lazy way of communicating. I mean, it's easy just to talk to everybody the same way. Um, but that, what happens is now we don't have the power of cherishing. There's no flavor to it, there's no distinction, there's no contrast, there's no saturation of color, there's no vibrancy in it, there's, you lose all of that. And, and so we get lazy and we just talk to everybody the same way. Um, no, well that's, that's divorcing yourself from the power of cherishing. But there are ways to speak to each person and, and it's very important that we conduct ourselves and have the right kind of conversation w- with an individual. So w- what is the scripture saying? It's saying that there is one word that can be spoken that is better than 99 words spoken. Finding the one word that needs to be spoken instead of giving somebody your whole mind, the 99. I mean, if we would just do the work of graciously looking for what is that one thing that that person needs right now to hear, Instead of just spewing out 99 things, but going after and and asking God to help you, how do I speak to the heart of my child? How do I speak to the heart of this child that's different than this child? I mean, speaking to Deanna, Deanna wants me to affirm the things that she does and, and, and to know that I'm proud of her. Um... Morgan really could care less whether or not I'm proud of her. Uh, th- she likes the language of of um, a companionship. Whereas then Dawn, there's a whole different language there. There is, in language, in Dawn, there's this language of shared experience, of of going through things together, and then talking about the things that, how we feel and all. So, um it is better to discover what that one word is than to just say 99 things. And, and can I also say this in a marriage? Stop giving somebody a piece of your mind. Just think of the one thing that needs to be said in that marriage relationship instead of 99. I think there's a proverb that says that wherever there is a multiplication of words, sin is soon to follow. And it's absolutely true. So what else is scripture saying? It's saying that sometimes you have to speak to that one person one way, that you have got to talk to that individual this way. Um, This morning, I kind of messed up a little bit, and as Susan was getting ready to go on a, a trip, and... Uh, She was getting ready and she was going through some stuff and I got a little frustrated because she was just uh, uh, talking a lot of things um, and I really didn't want to pay attention anymore and so I just blotted blotted out something kind of like, yeah, yeah, I got it, I got it. I I don't need you to do that. And um, this is not the one person that I speak that one way to. that sometimes you speak to one person the one way and you need to discover that. You need to realize that, you know, this is your wife. You don't talk to her like that. This is your husband and he needs to be talked to, this one person needs to be talked to this one way and to discover that and you say, wow, that sounds like a lot of work and it is. It is to, to cherish someone. It is to make somebody feel valuable. It is work, um, but that's how we communicate cherishing. That's how we distinguish them from all other people that are walking on the earth with the rest of us. So what else is scripture saying? It's saying that you need to be willing to leave all the other thoughts and issues and words behind in the open country and talk to the one with the one. See, sometimes we enter into a conversation and I I tend to go back to spouse conversation because those can be the most difficult. We tend to bring all our thoughts, all our issues, all the words, all the shared experiences, all the failures, all the disappointments, all the anger, and we bring it all. And we'll try to have this conversation and we're gonna hash this thing out. And it's like, you know what? There's about 90 things, 99 things that need to get left in the country, open country, and you just need to bring one thing to the table. And that one thing needs to be something that speaks edifying into the relationship, something that cherishes the relationship. This is what Josh and Chapel were talking about earlier with their daughters. It's speaking to each of them with that one word that stirs their soul, each of their souls and discovering this power of words and language and cultivating and creating it. When you do, all of a sudden, people will be drawn to you because you'll, they'll all know inside their, their heads, he's speaking my language. I mean, have you ever had someone say that before? that when you when you peg their interests when you when you're you know how they feel when you know what they're into when you know what they're thinking what they value what they need from you you are speaking their language and there are times when we need to leave the easy 99 the language of the common the language of of the crowd and do the work of speaking the one word to that one person that that one person's soul Will hear. You know, as Christ's followers, we are to speak to each other the value of the one. I love what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 29. He says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that one, as is good for edification according to the need of that moment. Isn't that amazing? The one word that that one person needs in that one moment. Not the 99 thoughts you got in your head, not, the, not what you think they ought to do with their life, not the peace of mind that you've been wanting to give them, but the one word that um, will be good for edification that, that is needed in that moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And I said it last week, echoing this scripture, that if we can't speak this way, then the scripture really doesn't authorize us to speak. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like, wow, (laughs) why'd that get dropped in there? It's like grieving the Holy Spirit. Well, how? Well, he just... Put this between two bookends. He's talking about having the right word at the right time in the right moment to, to give grace to those who need to hear. Then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Then he goes into this next thing. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Is that we, when we do not give the grace of one word to one person, it is there we grieve God the most. You know, and you wonder why. Why would God be so concerned? Well, we're back to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's because the character of language is the very essence of who God is. It is the very person who Jesus, the incarnation of God, is, it's the power of language. It's the community that's created by the way that we speak. And we either bring forth life or we bring forth death. We either, uh, we edify people and glorify God or we tear down people and we grieve the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Yeah, but except in marriage. It's all it's okay for me to talk to that dingbat that way. or or that jerk that I'm married to. Um, No, it it doesn't say that, does it? It says, put it away. That if you can't talk the right way, if you can't talk in a way that edifies, that doesn't mean that we don't deal with with problems, just means that how we go into the conversation, what is our objective? What is the one thing we're trying to accomplish? Is this going to be a cherishing conversation or is this going to be, I told you so, conversation? I just want you to feel a little worse about yourself by me reminding you what you did wrong. And then he closes out and he says, "Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you." See, let us not forget the call to forgiveness in the way that we speak. You see, some of us have chosen only to communicate with the 99 and the one gets nothing good from us. Unfortunately, as a pastor who's been involved with a lot of families and a lot of different family dynamics, particularly I don't get usually invited to the, the ones that are going really well. I usually don't get that call. Hey, pastor, come on over. We're, we're doing great. We want you to hear how we're talking. Usually it's it's when it's falling apart. But what one of the things I see happen is that and, and I'm just gonna use it in this scenario, is I'll, I'll find a mother who will talk to her children and be all happy with her kids, and then her husband will walk in the room and she won't even talk to him, won't even acknowledge him. Then all of a sudden her tone will change as she begins to interact with him and she'll attack, you know, but then when she turns to the kids, what, honey, what you need? Okay, mommy's got that. No, you know what I said, you know? And then goes back and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Some of us have decided that the 99 are gonna get me, but that one, I'm leaving them out there. And, And I'm leaving them out there lost, that I will not use my language to edify or to build them up. And that's why Paul finishes this, remember to forgive one another. Don't leave one person out there, but rather use your language to go out and to communicate hope and life and forgiveness to them. What a powerful thing that just came out of this one story of Jesus. The idea that you can create an ethos, a, a character of community that people will want to be a part of, that you'll be able to speak the language that their heart needs, that you'll be the kind of person that develops and 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 does the hard work. I mean, this just doesn't happen overnight. But with God, with his word, you do the hard work of learning to speak the one word to the one person, the one way, the one moment needs it to be spoken. And I can tell you, God will do it. He has gotten me out of my my chatter of ninety-nine. And he's taught me through his Holy Spirit and through his word. Through all these years, he's, he's helped me develop the ability to speak to the one, the one word at the right moment at that, that just needs to be said to that one soul. And God wants to do that through you, and will do that through you, if you're willing to. If you're willing to change your ethos, um, your, your language community, from being just a storm drainage runoff, where every calamity and every bad thought, every anger, every, every um, act that's been done against you doesn't become the, the pit that fills up with, with, you know, green stuff and fish that no one can eat, but rather that your life becomes a stream of living water flowing out of your innermost being. Um, Father, as we go into this moment, I know that this is spoken to families. I know this is spoken to husbands and wives, and I know that this would change everything. This would change everything, whether we're we're talking to Democrats or whether we're talking to Republicans, whether we're talking to men or to women or whites or blacks or Latinos or um, whatever the difference there may be among us. That if in that one, we, through your Holy Spirit and your word, you be led to go after that one with that one word that will edify that one heart in that one moment, that God, will see relationships restored, marriages and families restored, people coming together to hear what is being said in the heart of that marriage, in the heart of that family in the heart of that church, in the heart of that community. Father, change our hearts so that we could speak that one word that edifies, that brings hope and love and cherishing to
0: those around us.